1: Words can impact people's lives. Words can be very powerful. A doctor speaks a word and it can mean surgery or a person goes home from the hospital or from the doctor's office. A judge speaks and it can set a man free or it can condemn him. A government official speaks and it affects lives, it affects money, it affects world peace. Words can make us feel good or words can cut us deeply. Words can build us up, words can tear us down. Words can make us go away happy and words can break us and cause us to cry.
2: Yes, words are important. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve begins a series of studies that will look at some of the key words in the Bible, words that explain to us the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, words that tell us what God did for us in providing for our salvation through Jesus Christ words like redemption, justification, salvation, new birth, predestination, propitiation, reconciliation, adoption. Now you may think that this might be a rather dry theological study. After all, how much can you get out of a single word? Well, yes, there is a lot of theology in these words. After all, they do form the basis of our faith. They lay out for us the foundational facts contained in the scriptures. These words tell us of God's great love for us and the wonderful things He did, that He does, and that He will do for us who have chosen to be followers of Jesus. The explanation of these words is anything but dry. Today, in this first lesson of the series on Key Bible Doctrine Words, Pastor Steve will begin by explaining to us why words are important why we should study these words, and he'll give us some insight into what we can learn from these key Bible doctrine words. And then he'll begin the first of two lessons on the first word of the series, Redemption. That's a good word to open the series, since that one word will range over the whole Bible, because that's what the Bible is all about. It's the story of God's plan to redeem mankind from sin. We could say that redemption is the richest word in scripture because it has so many levels of meaning and we'll explore several of those levels together. So here is Pastor Steve.
1: First of all, why should we study these these words? Number 1, God has communicated his truth through words. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There are many places in scripture that would emphasize that uh, the Bible was not inspired in concepts, but in words. In fact, we only understand concepts because of the words that make up and reveal those concepts. But First Corinthians cha- chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, "...now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God." That is to say, the Spirit of God is our resident truth teacher... And uh, we wouldn't understand the Bible. It would just be academic to us. We wouldn't really receive its message and understand it in any kind of spiritual manner, except the Spirit of God explains it to us. Now, he says in verse 13, he's speaking about that we might know the things freely given to us by God, speaking of the word, which things we also speak, meaning he is an apostle, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So he says that we speak these things in words taught by the Spirit of God. God's revelation has come to us in words. And so words are very important. If we don't understand its words, we will never understand its concepts. And that's why, as we study the Bible together, we uh, pay careful attention to words. So we need to understand the words of the Bible because God has communicated his word from Genesis to Revelation in words. Secondly, the reason you need to know Certain words, because false teachers and cults tend to take good Bible words and terms, and they twist their meanings. They twist their meanings to fit their error. Uh, let's look at Second Peter for that. 2 Peter chapter 2. And if you've had someone come to your door and try to, uh, to tell you that they have the truth and they're from a cult, if you've engaged them in any kind of conversation, you have experienced this. You will say to those who come to your door claiming to be witnesses from Jehovah, you'll say something like, well, we believe in the deity of Christ. And you know what they'll say to you? We do also. But ask them what they mean by that. It's very different from what you mean by the deity of Christ and what the Bible means by it. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3, talking about false teachers, it says, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. They will exploit you. In other words, they'll take advantage of you. The word false means counterfeit. Uh, these, These words are pretend words. These words are twisted words. These are counterfeit words. These are not real Bible words. And so those who are false teachers and false prophets and cults like to use our Christian vocabulary. But someone said they use our vocabulary, but they do not use our Christian dictionary. Now, there's a difference. They'll say the same words that you and I will say, but they have a different meaning. So we need to understand what the Bible means by certain words related to the cross. There are words, for instance, born again. Everybody's using the term born again these days, but not everybody means what the Bible means by it. The deity of Christ I mentioned, even the term salvation, what does that mean? So we need to understand these things. And these false teachers will tell you what they think you want to hear, but they mean something very different from what you mean. Number three, every field uh, of study and every field in life has a certain vocabulary, a special vocabulary that explains that field or that job. If you're a baseball fan, you come to understand that there are certain terminology that ballplayers use that uh, a a non-fan wouldn't understand. Hit and run. Steal a base. I remember watching a film one time and and someone said, Have you ever read Homer? And this ballplayer said, The only Homer I know is the one that goes over a fence. You know, it, it is a different vocabulary, but you speak to those who are in computers and they have a, a different language, too. Those who are in electronics, they have their own language, technical terms necessary to learn that field. It's no different when you come to the Bible. The Bible has some technical language, and you don't need a past- to be a pastor or a seminary student or a Bible school student to understand this. Every Christian ought to know these words. These are technical words. We call them theological words. And I really believe that a lot of Christians tend to be intimidated by these words, and so they never study them. And that's one reason I want us to study them. It's a special vocabulary that Christians need to know, and, and we have, and we need to understand it. We need to know these words to help us appreciate the cross. Don't leave it up to the so-called experts. Some of these words are foundational to the Christian faith, and, and it's a shame if you don't know some of these words. So we're going to go over that. And the first word of our study of the word redemption. Redemption. If I were you, I'd take notes on this. Redemption. We sing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, but I'll tell you, we better know what redemption means before we go about proclaiming something. You don't proclaim it unless you know what you're proclaiming. Let's begin by looking at Ephesians chapter 1. And these studies are not going to be complicated, at least I'll try not to make them that. They're not going to be terribly long. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, and that great passage of Scripture, Paul is writing a very long sentence in the Greek language. He says in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. But he starts off by saying, In him we have redemption. But what is redemption? What does it mean? I'm going to try to make this as clear as possible. If I I sound a little technical in the Greek language, don't be concerned. It will all be cleared up. There are basically three... Greek words that could be translated redemption. Basically, before I even tell you these words, if you want a definition of redemption, is this, to purchase and set free by paying a price. It means to purchase and set free by paying a price. That is the basic overall meaning of redemption. But there are a lot of nuances in that meaning and a lot of angles to it that, that bring out the richness. The first word is agorazo agorazo. The reason I say that is because it has the word agora in there. Agora is becoming even a more popular word in our day and age. It's a Greek word that that means marketplace. You'll occasionally hear that word agora. And this word agorazo means to buy. The basic meaning, to buy. And it comes, as I said, from the Greek word agora, which means a marketplace. And the thought is this, just as one would buy would buy something from the marketplace, would buy, uh, for instance, in the old, olden days, a slave or an item from the marketplace. So we have been bought with a price. Jesus Christ has purchased us from the marketplace of sin. That's, that's the thought. The word, the, the thought here is really a, a price has been paid for something. The price has been paid. That's agarazzo. It really wasn't a theological word to begin with. It just meant the price was paid for something out of the marketplace. It would be a word that uh, you ladies would have used in the first century if you went shopping in the uh, first century mall. Okay, you would just buy something. You'd pay a price for something and you'd buy it. That's agarazzo. There's another word that's related to that. You just put a, uh, a, a preposition X on the front of it, ex agarazzo, and this forms a slightly different word, and it means to buy out of the marketplace. There's a little bit different meaning to it. You're not just paying a price. Now you are, not only have pay- having paid that price, now you are taking it home with you. You are taking it out of the marketplace. You are buying it out of that place. You've put your money down, that's agarazzo. You're taking that item home with you, that's ex agarazzo. We get the word ex means exit, exodus, out of. Now, the difference between these two words is really um, the thought of assurance. Assurance. In New Testament times, we're told there are about 60 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire. That is an incredibly high number, but that's what the experts tell us. There were about 60 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, ex agarezzo says that not only has the price been paid for that slave... Not only has he been purchased, but he's been removed from the slave market, never to be returned. He's been taken home. Someone would go and say, I like that slave. I've checked him out. I want him. I want her. Here's the money. They take him or her out of the slave market, and they take them home. That's the thought. It's sort of a word of assurance. You're taken out, never to return. So, agarazzo refers refer to the ransom price. Ex-agarazzo refers to the removal. Okay? There is another word. Another word apolutrosis and that's the word found in Ephesians one seven. Apolutrosis and this is a word that means to liberate by the paying of a price in order to set a prisoner free or a person free. It means to release, to loose would be the thought, to lose someone from bondage after they've been paid for. Now let me just uh bring this together, let's go back to the 60 million slaves who were in the Roman Empire. Most of the time, they were bought and sold like we sell pets. That's pretty much was the fate of a, of a Roman slave. But once in a while, someone purchased the slave in order to give him his freedom. Could you imagine the joy of that? You've been a slave all of your life. Your parents were slaves. You were born into slavery or you're a captive people. And here you're in the slave market and some someone comes to buy you and you think, oh, I'm going out of the slave market to this guy's house and I'm going to be his slave. And he turns around and occasionally, rarely, but this would happen. He'd say, I've taken a liking to you and uh, I am going to release you from being a slave. You're free. You're free for whatever reason that person had. You are free. Given him his freedom. Occasionally that happened. Now, that sort of combines these the basic words of redemption. And what it means is this. Christ has purchased us, removed us from the slave market, and he set us free. He set us free. Now, you see, we may not be first century slaves, but we were born into slavery. We were born into slavery. Who was our master? Sin was our master. Sin was our master. We were born with with sin natures. Uh, None of us were born free. You know, that's only for the movies. Let's look at uh, John chapter 8. The Bible teaches that we are not free until we come to Christ. John chapter 8. We are enslaved to sin. It's very important for us to understand because this is a generation that thinks that they are free. In fact, it's quite uh, uh, reasonable to think that you've come across people you've witnessed to who will turn around and tell you, you know, I don't want to come to Christ. Uh, I'm, I want to be free. They're really fools if they believe that. John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. That is to say, if you continue in my word, you prove that you really belong to me. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You'll know the truth, meaning the truth about salvation, the truth about me, you'll accept me. Uh, In John's gospel, believe on him doesn't always mean they've had salvation. So he's speaking to those people who needed to still trust him. And they answered him and they said, and you see in their attitude that they really were not true, genuine disciples. Uh, We're Abraham's offspring. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Now, first of all, they lost all sense of historical perspective. The Jewish people since the days of Nebuchadnezzar have really been a captive people, really been a captive people. And even at that time, they were enslaved, in a sense, to Rome. And so they they have sort of forgotten that. And Jesus answered them, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is what? It's a slave of sin. Jesus said everyone who commits sin, which is everyone, is a slave of sin. And he's referring here specifically to, to unregenerate, unredeemed people. Romans chapter 8 gives us more insight on this. Romans chapter six, I'm sorry, I said chapter eight, but Romans chapter six, beginning at verse six, Paul is telling him that, uh, telling these these people that we've died with Christ, we're identified with him. And then he says this mar- some marvelous truths about our freedom, knowing this in verse six, that our old self, our old man was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. He's making a comparison between what we were before coming to Christ and what we are now. He says part of salvation is that you're no longer a slave to sin. Notice verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to, to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. We don't have to let sin have dominion over us. We don't have to let sin reign over us. Before you were a believer, you did have to have that. You did have a master that was sin. You had no no, uh, freedom. Verse 13, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. That's the way it used to be. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. then verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you. And you can really add, shall not be master over you anymore. This is the way it was. For you are not under law, but under grace. You, you've now passed into a new realm. You're no longer under the old realm, and therefore you're not bound by that. Titus three three says this, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. 1 Peter one eighteen says you are redeemed from your futile way of life meaning vain, empty, purposeless in terms of how God considers purpose. So it's important to understand that each of us were, were born into this world as slaves to sin. Now, we thought we were really free, but we weren't. In reality, we were slaves in bondage to sin. And as I said a few moments ago, you often hear the expression of, I don't, I don't want to come to Christ, I want to be free. Or you hear the expression, uh, man has a free will. Before a person comes to know the Lord Jesus, they do not have a free will. They only have choices within the perimeters of their bondage to sin. They only can choose their sin. They really are not free. Because if they're free, then they're free to obey God, and that's not the case. You're not free to obey God until you trust the Lord. You simply can make choices, but you are not free. That's very important to understand. That's, a, that's an important theological issue. Man's will only becomes free the moment he accepts Christ. If you know the Lord Jesus, then you are free to obey him and you are free to disobey him. But an unbeliever is not free to to obey. He can only make choices within the realm of being in bondage to his sin. I think of the prodigal son like this. You know, the prodigal son said, I'll go and I'll get away from my father and I'll get away from my my brother. And so uh, he went out seeking his own freedom. I'll do my thing. He's sort of like this generation. I will get up and I'll go and I'll seek freedom and I'll get away from them. And what did he find? Left home, get away from his father, his brother. But before long, the so-called freedom turned to bondage. He worked as a Jewish boy, he worked for a Gentile feeding pigs, and then he became a slave to pigs, which from a Jewish perspective, the first century, pigs being a non-kosher animal, that's the worst thing that could ever happen. You see, that's that's what often uh, happens when people think that they're going to get free apart from Christ. Their so-called freedom just turns into more and more bondage because they've never dealt with the real issue, and that's slavery to sin. Slavery to sin. And this is a generation like that. I want my freedom. I want to do my own thing. And they're really fools because they are not free. So this is the basic meaning of redemption. But how does it apply to our lives? How does it affect our lives? Because we don't want to look at these terms just from a theological perspective. We want to ask the question, so what? So what? Now that I know that it means that we're we're set free from the marketplace of sin, we've been removed, we've been actually set free as slaves in bondage to sin, how does it affect us? Well, what should our response be? I guess that's a better way of, of putting it. Would you look back again at Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 18? Paul says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You know what the implication means that, uh, of redemption? The Lord Jesus Christ has, has bought us. He's taken us out of the marketplace and he says, here's your freedom. You're no longer slaves. A child of God then turns around and says, but Lord, I want to be a slave, but not of sin, but of yours. I put myself in bondage, willful bondage to you as your willing servant. That's exactly what Paul is saying. That's what redemption means. Redemption means that we still have a master. It's just that now we've chosen the master we want over us, and he's Christ. We're still slaves, but we're willing slaves. You didn't have a choice in the matter whether you were a slave to sin or not. We're willing slaves. You see, he set us free. If we serve him, it's because, if you serve him, it's because you choose to serve him, not because you must serve him. There's a difference. You choose to serve Jesus Christ, never because he forces you to do it. Now, you choose, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's why Paul says, I beseech you. I I plead with you. Why? Because Jesus Christ never forces us to become his servants. That's an act of your will. But that's what redemption does for us. Redemption frees us, so now we don't serve ourselves. That's why it's ridiculous to think that a person can be a Christian and just continue in the old lifestyle. Redemption means that you've been freed, and you turn around and say, but I want to make myself a slave, but to Jesus. So redemption demands the response that we become his slaves. Are you his slave? Have you given him your your life, your talent? Your finances. I'm not talking about giving the the church money. I'm talking about your finances, your attitude to the Lord. You serve him as his willing servants. That's what redemption means. He's redeemed you to be his slaves by your choice.
2: That's a wonderful thought. We who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ were slaves to sin with no choice in our lives. But Christ, because he has redeemed us, gives us the freedom to serve Him willingly out of a happy heart because of this great gift of redemption. So we'll leave it with that thought, for you have been bought with a price. You've been listening to Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve began a series of lessons that, during the next couple of weeks, will take us through some key Bible doctrine words and what they mean for us today. In the next lesson, we'll continue the study of redemption. Verse by Verse is a daily radio program with lessons taken from messages given at Lakeside Community Chapel. If you would like to have a recording of the entire message from which this and the next program are extracted, you can get it on CD or audio cassette. Just call us at 727-239-0306 and we'll be happy to send it out to you. That's 727-239-0306. You can hear today's lesson again or explore the many other subjects on file at our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio, all one word.org. dot O-R-G. They're available for free download. And if God leads you to support the ministry of Verse by Verse, click on the Support Us box to find out how you can help us keep this program on the air. If you're in the area and would like to worship at Lakeside Community Chapel and hear more of Pastor Steve Kreloff's preaching, look up service times and other events on our website, lakesidechapel, all one dot com, or call the church office at 727-441-1714 for more information. That's www.lakesidechapel.com or phone 727-441-1714. We hope you can join us next time when Pastor Steve Kreloff continues with the study of the word redemption. He'll explore for us the full meaning of the word as he examines the third concept contained in this rich word. I'm Jerry Pruden, inviting you to join us next time for Verse by Verse.